Mark chapter 4. And it really, uh, if you'll remember back over the last several weeks, we have been going through these parables. And all the parables taught about the seed and the sower are not here in Mark's gospel. But, we've, but all of these, it's clear from the passage that all of them were taught at the same time on the same day. So there's a transition here where Jesus is going to get his disciples and he's going to send everyone else away and they're going to get into a boat and cross over the Sea of Galilee. And uh, we're going to look at that together in Mark chapter 4. If you're able to stand, would you stand with us as we read the text before we pray? Mark chapter 4 and verse 35. And the same day, now I'll mention that phrase more than once in the message, but it's important that it ties this, it ties this event that's about to occur into all the things that have been happening on this day. And the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind. And the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea Obey him. It's quite a passage, isn't it? Let's pray together. Father, please bless as we study your word today. Thank you for it. We, we want to take it seriously. We want to respect it. We want to receive from it. We want to learn from it. So please bless our time in the word of God today. Work in our hearts and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As we go through this passage today, I wanna, I'm just going to mention four different words, and I'm going to kind of say what we say under the categories of those words. The first word we're going to talk about is sailing. The second word we're going to talk about is storming. The third word we're going to talk about is panicking. And the fourth word we're going to talk about is learning. In verse 35, it says that Jesus instructed the disciples to cross over the Sea of Galilee. Now again, in verse 35, it begins with the words, and the same day. Now we're not going to go back in our Bibles, but just kind of reminisce a little bit. This was a full day. It was the same day when they accused him of casting out devils by Beelzebub. It was the same day that some people close to him came to him 
and said of him, he is beside himself. It was the same day when he was teaching and his family visited him as he was teaching. And that same day he taught these numerous parables. It was a full day. And it says in verse 35, when the evening was come or when the even was come, he said, let us now pass over unto the other side. And verse 36 says he sent the multitude away. Again, just worth repeating Jesus' ministry wasn't always with the masses. He sometimes, he sometimes deliberately, intentionally spent more time with those disciples, those closest to him, that they might learn his ways, that he might explain the parables to him, explain things to them, and so he sent them away. I think in another, in another regard, this was welcome, not only because they were going to have special time with Jesus but because it had been such a busy, busy day. And so it's an evening, a quiet, calm evening voyage on the lake. Sounds good, right? Imagine sailing with Jesus. I mean, I've thought about this a lot. Sailing with Jesus in the calm of the evenings, the sun is going down, the waters are beautiful on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is a beautiful lake. And uh, when we... My wife and I have been to Israel twice, and it's one of my fa- our favorite places, my favorite place for sure, in Israel. I'll give you a couple of pictures, uh, just so you can kind of get a picture of the lake. Think about it. And by the way, it is called the Sea of Galilee. It's also called the Lake of Gennesaret. It's a, it's a quiet, it's a beautiful body of water. And so there you get a picture of it. Uh, just to give you an idea of the, the size of it, it's about 13 miles from the top of it to the bottom of it. And about seven miles from side to side, west to east. So if you got right in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, you could see all four shores around you. It's a small lake. And one of the unique characteristics of the lake is its elevation. It is the lowest elevation of any freshwater lake in the world. It sits at a lower elevation. This picture gives you a sense of what the terrain is around, the topography around the lake. And again, it is about 700 feet below sea level, the Sea of Galilee. And so as we go through the lesson, you can think about the geography, the topography of it. And and this is sort of a typical fishing boat that you would see in the Sea of Galilee. There's actually a museum there. Uh, for those of you who've been there, maybe you've been to that museum where they have uh, were able to find the remains of a hull of a, a boat from, from uh, perhaps as far back nearly as the time of Jesus. And, and, it's, and it looks like a boat similar to that. So this, they're, out, they're sailing on this, traveling across the Sea of Galilee. It's a beautiful, beautiful lake. They spent a lot of time there. Many of these fellows in the boat were fishermen. And that brings us to verse 37. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. So the atmosphere on the lake and the atmosphere in the boat changed dramatically. The Bible calls it a great storm of wind. If you were to take that word in our English Bible here, great, and looking up 
that word in its original Greek language, the Greek word is megas, M-E-G-A-S, megas, great, mega. It was a mega wind. It was, a, it was an, a, an enormous, unusually large, violent storm. Tempestuous winds. I, I took the time to show the topography, really, of the area because... It's because of the higher elevations around it and the fact that it is 700 feet below sea level that these sudden and violent storms can occur and still do occur. I don't know if you've ever heard the name Warren Wearsby. He's a well-known pastor and a writer and a a commentator. He died uh, last week or week before last. Um, But he tells a story about a conversation he had when he was on the Sea of Galilee and he was talking to his guide as they were crossing the Sea of Galilee and he asked the guide if he had ever been in one of these storms like the Bible talks about these tremendous storms. <coughs> Excuse me. And the guide said this and I quote, I certainly have and I never want to be in one like it again. Uh, if you read the stories about the storms on the Sea of Galilee, numbers of resources uh, comment about a similar storm in 1992 there on the Sea of Galilee where waves on that, sea, on that lake were 10 feet high. So you take 10... You, now, if you were on a cruise, if you were on a battleship or a cruise ship, and uh, 10 feet waves wouldn't be all that hard to navigate. But on that small kind of a fishing boat with waves... Ten feet high, imagine what it was like. We don't know what it was like in this, but we can know this for certain. This was not just an average storm. I mean, people who spend their lives on the Sea of Galilee as fishermen would be acquainted with inclement weather. It was not that kind of a storm. It was a great storm. And the Bible says, I read it a couple of times now in verse 37, the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. The ship was taking on water, so much so that the ship was filling up with water. Now, I can just see these disciples frantically rowing, rowing and bailing, bailing water out of the boat. And so we have sailing and we have storming. It's interesting in verse 38 it says, and he... Jesus was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. (laughs) Jesus was in the back of the ship, sleeping. Now, no doubt he was weary from this long day. Anybody who's spent days in intense ministry know that can be draining. It can be exhausting, and I'm sure that was a part of it. He'd been teaching and ministering to people and dealing with critics. But even though the storm is just raging against them and water is coming in the boat in a dangerous way, he slept. He was sleeping. And I think part of that has to do with the fact that he was exhausted, but I also think a part of it has to do with the peace and the rest of Jesus. I mean, Jesus really has no reason to get uptight, right? I mean, if it gets too bad, he'll just take a walk, right? So he slept. But as you can imagine, probably no one else is sleeping, right? (laughs) They're not sleeping. So we have sailing, we have storming, and now we have 
panicking. And that's what we find in verse 38. It says, They awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? It's a very interesting question. It's really an accusation framed as a question. Again, this was not a typical storm. In their minds, they were in danger of dying. Now, there's probably some people in this room, we have some fishermen here, um, we've had people here that's been in the military, we've probably had people here who've been in storms that were just terrifying. Every time I think about this, I teach about this, I remember a time once when I was in my late teens and a friend of mine had rented a boat in Lake Ray Hubbard, which is outside of Dallas, and we had we'd gotten out onto the lake and we were doing some fishing, and the storms began to come up, and it got really ugly really fast. And, you know, you start wondering, uh, are you really going to live through this? Well, that's what they're feeling. That's the, that's the emotion that they're feeling. And they were in danger of dying. And so in their panic, what they did was they accused him. Again, look in verse 38. Carest thou not that we perish? They didn't just say, we're in a bad place and you're sleeping, but they accused him of not caring about what they were going through. Now, I want us to think about that just briefly as we go through these passages because it's a reminder to me that trials and storms and serious conflicts and problems can cause us to lose our perspective. I mean, you imagine telling, saying to Jesus, you don't care about us. I mean, if anybody cares about us, Jesus cares about us. But that was what they were saying. Why, why don't you care? Don't you care? How can you sleep? Our lives are in jeopardy and you're taking a nap. Let me frame that accusation in another way. If God really cared, He would not have allowed this to happen. And that's the mentality sometimes that people have. When, when we're panicking, when we're afraid, when we don't know what the outcome is going to be, when we're in a storm... And one thing about being in a place like this, where they were, is you have no control over the outcome. Right? You can't make the storm go away. You can't make the boat bigger. You can't make the waves smaller. You have no control over the outcome. And sometimes in life, we find ourselves in places like that. When we don't know what to do. We don't, what could we do? There's nothing really that we can do. And sometimes people, and you say, well, people don't really mean it when they say that, but I think sometimes they do. They, they, they begin to question God. They begin to, you know, attack God's um, goodness, His mercy, His love. Don't you care? Don't you care what I'm going through? Don't you know how much this hurts? Don't you realize how painful this is? Don't you know that we're going through a great problem and it could be any kind of a problem. It could be a health problem. It could be a financial problem. It could be a family problem. But we begin to panic. And later on, Jesus is going to say to them down in verse 40, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And it would be good for us to consider what I'm about to say. Doubt and fear are not the result of circumstances. Doubt and fear are the result of us not being 
trusting like we should be in the God that we claim can do anything, right? And that's where they were. One thing I love about reading the Bible is sometimes I can read where people are in the Bible and say, you know, I've been there. Maybe not in the geographic location, but in the spiritual condition. I've been there. Doubt and fear the result of a lack of faith. And I'm not throwing rocks at these guys because, like I said, I've, I've been there. But there's several things. As we read the Bible, there are things that we can learn by what other people go through. And really, when you read this and just think about it, I think you would agree that there's several things they could have done that would have responded in a better way if they had thought about them. Number one, look in verse 35 where it says very clearly, The same day when the evening was come, he saith unto them, he said this to them, let us pass over unto the other side. The first thing they could have remembered was he promised them that they were going to go to the other side. It may be a rough ride. It may not be what you planned on. There may be some surprises along the way, but he said, let's go to the other side. He never said anything about going down in the middle. So number one, they could have thought about that. God's promise was they were going to go to the other side. The second thing they could have thought about is Jesus himself is with them. I mean, Jesus is with them. I mean, that ought to say something about a, a place to find some calm, right? Not panic. And again, I'm not being hard on them because I've panicked before. But a third thing that I think about them is they, they, they could see that Jesus wasn't really alarmed about it. He wasn't, wasn't upset about it. If, I mean, if Jesus... I don't, know, I don't know if you ever do this, but I put myself in scenes in the Bible. And I can just put myself in this scene... Sitting there in the boat and everybody's panicking and thrashing around and screaming and crying and begging and saying their prayers. And, you know, if you survive, tell her I love her and all this kind of stuff is going on. And then you look over at Jesus and he's just, he's sacked out. You'd think there'd be something about that that would be, have a calming effect, right? But it didn't for them. They were panicking. Now I'm going to move on to my last point, but... You can't, we, can't always, we, we can't always take the Bible and from the stories of the Bible, some of the accounts of Bible activities and events, we can't always find the answer to all of our problems. But I'll tell you what we can find. We can find that people go through similar situations. And it's a mistake for us to think that our problems are always worse than everybody else's problems. Right? It's a mistake. It's a mistake for us to think that God doesn't care about us when we're going through troubles. More than once, I've had people question me with this kind of a line of thinking. Well, you know, if God is really that good, why did He let this happen? And you know what? I don't hesitate to say, I don't always know. But one thing I do know God is good. He's always good. I may not understand. I may not have wanted it. But I'm telling you, I, I believe the Bible. And God is always good. He's good when it hurts. He's good when there's no pain. But He's always good. And I don't know the answer. I don't, there's so many places in the Bible that we think, why would God let that happen? You know what? Um, this is not a scripture, but it's a truth from song that I think matters, we'll understand it all better by and by. 
You say, that's just a cop-out. No, it's not a cop-out. It's faith in God. It's trusting in God. It's believing that God is good. And if God allows a storm to come into our life, it must be that God has a reason for it. And that brings me to the fourth word, the final word I want us to think about. We've talked about sailing. We've thought about storming. We've thought about panicking. But the fourth word I want to center our thoughts around is the word learning. Because this was to be a learning experience. Um, And I think when we go through difficult times, we can learn something. And I want to talk about two aspects of that this morning. Number one, we can learn some things about ourselves. And number two, we can learn some things about God. They learned something about themselves. I think they learned something about their journey, about the Christian life. And one of the things they learned is that Bible faith has to be fleshed out. It has to become practical. And again, we're thinking in our minds where they had just been. They've been sitting at the feet of Jesus, hearing these wonderful parables, Him telling them stories and teaching them and explaining to them things that everybody else didn't know. That very, and it was the same day, it says in verse 35, it came to, it came, that the same day when the evening was, that very same day that Jesus had been teaching these parables. Now don't miss this, because I think it's pretty important. They'd been learning from the Bible. They'd been learning principles from the Bible. They'd been learning, um, various ways that the Bible is to be applied to their life. But there's more to the Christian life than just learning about the Bible. It's called living the Bible. It's when it becomes a part of our life. When it becomes a part of the way we respond to situations and respond to people. And I think we need to be careful about this. That there's not some disconnect between what we know and how we live. I'm I'm amazed... And I mean this in all sincerity. I'm amazed sometimes at how much our young people know the Bible. They know a lot of stuff about the Bible. Stories in the Bible. And if you ask them a question about things, they know the answer to it. But let me tell you, and that's all good. But when you're out on the stormy sea, just knowing the Bible is not all you need. It's living the Bible. It's putting the Bible principles to work in your life. And there can be a disconnect. And it's not just true of young people. It's true of adults as well. Earlier in the day, as we were reading in Mark, early in Mark 3 and 4, the classroom was a shore, on the shore, a safe place on the shore of the sea. But now the classroom is a small boat. And it's in the midst of a mega storm. But you know what? That's where we learn some things sometimes is in the midst of the storm. Teaching is a major part of the life of a disciple. It's a major part. You know, we heard about it this morning in Sunday school class, of learning the truths of the Bible, learning the Word of God. But there's another part that's not always as enjoyable, but just as important, and that's testing. Going through things that test our faith. James writes about that when he says, this is the quote from James 1, the trying of our faith. 
I can almost assure us, I can almost be certain about this, and maybe I am completely certain about it. Whatever faith we have, somewhere in our life will be tested. How real is this to you? And it's not tested, it's not, our faith is not tested in times where everything just seems to be going well. That's not, that does not test my faith. What's testing us is when things are not going so well. When, when we're in a storm. Peter said, Peter said this, he said, uh, the trial of your faith. James says the trying of your faith. Peter says the trial of your faith. And so we're looking at this, these, what these guys are going through, and Jesus wants them to see something. He wants them to learn something. And I think it's an important lesson. It's good that we learn Bible truth, but we're challenged when we have to live out that truth. I mean, it's, good, it's easy to sing, you know, all to Jesus I surrender, or, or faith is the victory. These songs are wonderful, and they're good to sing and easy to sing. But I'll tell you what's more important than just knowing them and singing them and saying them is when you find it real in your life. When it's working in the storm of your life. And they, this is what they were learning. These were, by the way, these were seasoned fishermen, and these were men who spent as much time directly talking and listening and learning from Jesus as anybody in the world, right? And this is one of the things they're learning, is they didn't behave so well in the storm. (laughs) Have you ever really panicked about something? Probably none of you have. And then looking back on it, you think, man, why why did I act that way? Why did I behave that way? Jesus is wanting them to learn some things about themselves. Sometimes when we're going through a really, really difficult time, we think what we need the most is deliverance from the storm. But sometimes what we need the most is deliverance from our fear and our unbelief, our doubts. So I think in this passage here in Mark chapter 4, sometimes we behave in a similar way. When storms are threatening our well-being. And if you think about this, maybe you're not in a storm and maybe you've never really been in a serious storm, but if you live long enough, you will be. We tend to think if our circumstances would just get better. You know, if our circumstances would just calm down, everything would be okay. But Jesus, Jesus wants us to see what's inside of us. Not just what's around us. Lord, don't you care? That's a, that's a horrible thing to say. Don't you care? Don't you care what I'm feeling? Don't you care what I'm going through? And I just want to say, sure he cares. As a matter of fact, he cares enough to let us experience difficulties. That we might become stronger. That we might learn some things. So he, he and, and, and I think it's worth repeating, and I'm sure you caught this as we went along there in verse 35 where he said, let us pass over into the other side. I mean, he led them into the storm, right? You can't get anything else out of this. He led them. He told them. He knew what time of the day it was. He knew what was on the horizon. He knew the storm was coming. And he and his wisdom allowed them to sail right into that storm. Is that right or wrong? And a person, a prideful person could say, well, I would never do that. 
from one of my children. And I would say, you're probably right. But you know what? You and I aren't as smart as God is. (laughs) God would do that for one of his children. That's like a parent saying, I love them too much to whoop them. Whoop, you know what whoop is? <laughs> Whom the Father loveth, He chastens and scourges every son. He cares, he cares so much about us, He lets us experience difficulties. He lets us experience problems. He knew the storm was coming. And He allowed them to be totally surprised by the impact, the suddenness of the storm. You know, the question Jesus asked them in verse 40, if you look there with me, says, why? Why are you so fearful? You know, that that was kind of a probing question. I don't think he was just being mean to them. And he wanted them to think about it. Why? Think about it, gentlemen. Why are you so fearful? Why? why, How is it you have no faith? Why are you fearful? Why are you fearful and faithless? And you know what? I think I think that's in there for one reason, so that we sometimes could ask ourselves, why are you why are you acting like this? Why are you behaving like this? Why are you so full of faith and or full of doubt and fear? We can learn a lot about ourselves in storms. I've been through a few of them. My wife and I've been through some. Things in the church, things with family. We we've we all we've been through them, right? And we all go through you say, well nobody ever has to go through storm. We all do. We all do. And it's good when we're going through it, not just to become bitter and angry and question, but it's good when we're going through it to ask ourselves, am I behaving in this storm like God wants me to? What can I learn about myself? So they learned some things about themselves, and then secondly, they learned something about God. Look in verse uh, 39. It says, He arose and rebuked the the wind and set into the sea. Peace be still. <laughs> Stop it. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Wouldn't you just love to see that? Wouldn't you love to see a, sto- a, a storm so vicious, so powerful, that just instantly became peaceful and quiet? That's exactly what happened. And look what it says in verse 41. And they feared exceedingly. They feared exceedingly. They feared with fear. And said one to another. This is what they were saying in that boat. What manner of man is this? That even the wind and the sea obeyed him. I'd say they learned some things about God. One thing they learned is God can be trusted. Even in a storm. God can be trusted. And He's on time, right? God's on time. He not, may not be on our time, but He's on time. God is with us. He was with them. God is with us in the most devastating of life's difficulties. And He cares about us in the middle of them. They learned also that He was the master of the elements in verse 39. He rebuked the wind and it obeyed Him. He said, Preacher, do you really believe that Jesus could look at a hurricane or a cyclone or a tornado and say, Stop? And it would just stop in its tracks? I believe that with every fiber of my being. And you do as well. 
He rebuked the wind. The storm was replaced with this great calm. I can't read these episodes like this without having this cross my mind. You know, if, if, if winds obey him and waters obey him, why wouldn't we obey him? What would cause us to disobey him when the elements obey him? I heard a preacher say this not too long ago. I was at a place and he was listening to some preaching. And he said, of all, the crea- of, all of God's creation, the only part of God's creation that has the volition, the choice to disobey is human. I mean, he commands birds, and they carry lunch to preachers. I mean, he, he commands the elements. He commands, he commands everything, and they just instantly, without hesitation, instantly obey him. And yet man, in our pride sometimes, will disobey him. But the winds and the waves. So they learned this about him, that even the elements obey him. They'd never seen this before. I mean, they'd seen demons obey him. They'd seen diseases respond to him, but they'd never seen anything like this. And I've never seen anything, by the way, like this. But I can say this, that in the storms of life, sometimes we learn our greatest lessons about ourselves and about God. And so they asked this question that is the 41st verse there. I'm going to read it again. What manner of man is this? What, what manner of man is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. They feared, they caused an awe, a sense of awe, because they saw demonstrated his power and his authority. They were learning more and more about him as they went along this journey. They were in awe of what he did. They were in absolute amazement at what he did. Just speaking. And storms and the sea responded. We serve a great God, a powerful God, an all-wise God. He knows what we need. He knows where we are. He knows what we're going through. And He doesn't allow us to go through things because He's unkind or because He wants to punish us. He allows us to go through things sometimes just because He knows we'll be better for it. And I believe that. He's a great God. Amen? What manner of man is this? He's unlike any other person. We see his, I think we see his humanity in this passage in the fact that he was weary, the fact that he slept, the fact that he rested. But we see his deity in the fact that he has power. His words are powerful. Maybe today you're going through a difficult time. You know, um, some people would look at this storm and say, well, you know, it probably only lasted a few minutes or, you know what I'm saying. (laughs) But for them, I'm sure it was like an eternity. I've been in some, I've been in some situations that may not last it all that long, but it seemed like forever. (laughs) Maybe you've, maybe you've been in one of those. Maybe you're in one now. And maybe you can't even relate to it. What it means to be afraid, what it means to to doubt what it means to fear because you see your circumstances so contrary to what you'd like for them to be. But just remember this, when it happens, if you're saved, you're not alone. 
God's with you. And it didn't come as a surprise to him that you're going to be there. And if you're in his will, these people are right in the center of his will. Don't ever buy into the notion, well, if a person just loves God and serves God, then they're never going to have any difficulty. These people were doing exactly what God wanted them to do. Exactly. Right? And God will see you through. And you can look back and say, what a great God. What a great God. Amen? Now, if you're not saved, you can't say that. Because you don't know Him. You don't, he's not in your life. These people had a meaningful relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and, and you're thinking, man, I, I'm, I want God to be with me in my life. I want God to be with me in the difficult times of life. When I suffer loss, when I have problems, when I have, when I have concerns. I'm telling you, He wants to be with you. But he's, it's just not a given that He's always with you. You've got to, you've got to come to Him. You've got, you've got to come to Him in repentance and trust Him and put your faith in Him to be saved. And when you get saved, for the rest of your life and for all eternity, He'll never leave you. Amen? Isn't that wonderful to know? You say, well, I, I need more than that. I'm telling you, I don't know how you could have more than that. <laughs> right? I don't know how you have more than that. If you got Jesus, you got everything. Amen?